Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 28, A Flattering Malady. Doing a history podcast takes a lot of time. I'm not complaining, but it does mean you're reading and writing and trying to keep ahead of a fixed period where you can make episodes available. At the time that I actually wrote this episode, it was March 2020. Most of Australia had gone into lockdown. It's now late 2021 and we're only just getting back to some sort of semblance of normality here in Victoria. It was kind of weird reading what I wrote back then. (laughs) Anyway, back in episode 5, I spoke on the scourge that was cholera and how Jon Snow found a solution to the problem in London that had seen tens of thousands of people die. At some point in the future, I am going to be looking at what was probably the greatest killer in human history, but as of now, I'm still reading and making notes on smallpox, so you have that for want of a better term, to look forward to. But I think there is one illness that, in its way, is an integral part of what we all think of when we talk about the 1800s, either in the United Kingdom or, say, somewhere like the United States of America. The dreaded illness known as consumption. Now, this was kind of a generic term, and I do think from what I've read, though, that what was called consumption in some cases may have been a variety of respiratory ailments. But from most of the reading I've done, what I have found out is that there was one illness that really counted for what was known as consumption. Tuberculosis. So what is it? How do you get it and what did it do to people? And why, among all the illnesses we know from this time period, does it have such a prominent standing? All valid questions indeed. Mycobacterium tuberculosis, or to abbreviate it, we'll call it MTB, well, it's the bacteria that can affect you anywhere in your body, but in 90% of cases, it has its strongest effects on a person's lungs. The first known evidence of it was found in bison in the great state of Wyoming, USA, from around 17,000 years ago. As far as humans are concerned, scientists have found MTB in some humans as far back as 4000 BC. Researchers have also found MTB in the spines of Egyptian mummies dating between 3000 BC to 2400 BC. As far as a more modern country like the US is concerned, MTB shows up at around 100 AD. I find this really interesting because tuberculosis is spread through the air, especially from coughing, spitting, sneezing and even speaking. So how did it get to America in 100 AD? People must have been travelling more than what is commonly thought. And that's something to ponder. But getting to the nitty-gritty of the virus, and some sneeze trivia, because I know you love that, a single sneeze can release 40,000 droplets containing the virus, 
and given its ability to infect, any one of those drops can completely infect someone else. So there's 40,000 droplets in the air. And a sneeze can travel up to 8 metres or 26 feet. And those droplets will stay in the air floating for around about 10 minutes. So I hope this is giving you some sort of idea how bad an infected sneeze can be if it happens in any sort of area near anyone else. Now, many people that caught tuberculosis didn't even have symptoms, which I guess is like so many other respiratory illnesses that we know of. But in those cases that caught the severe form of tuberculosis that I'm talking about today, well, that was when you got the chronic cough, fevers, sweats, and the almost infamous blood-containing mucus that we know of from movies when a sufferer coughs, and we see those bloodstains in the cloth as they endure a spasm. Another effect of the illness brought on by those symptoms was weight loss, and it was this consumption of body mass that gave rise to the common name that we gave TB during this era. Now these days, tuberculosis infections occur in people with HIV or people who smoke. Now, while HIV was fortunately not around in the 1800s, it was a case that most men smoked back then. Tubercles are nodules that contain necrotic or dead tissue that form in the lungs as a result of the illness, and that's where the name comes from. Despite having been known of in some way since 1689, it wasn't until the 1820s when it was identified as a single disease, and it wasn't until 1839 that J.L. Schonlein gave it the name tuberculosis. But it wasn't until the 24th of March 1882 that Robert Koch identified the Mycobacterium tuberculosis bacillus that caused the illness. Oddly enough, I started writing this podcast on March 23rd, 2020, and then found out that the next day was the anniversary of World Tuberculosis Day. Slightly macabre, but needs the support. And as an aside, it was in 1905 that he would receive a Nobel Prize for this discovery. Yes, it was at that level of world importance. Sadly, like so many diseases, it became common amongst the lower economic classes. As early as 1815, records show that one in four, a full quarter of all, yes, all deaths in England, were prescribed to what was called consumption. Now I agree with you, dear listener, that that is all very tragic. But then we get to the part that is almost really a modern social media tragic phenomenon. Because bizarrely, TB created a look on the sufferer that was the height of fashion in the 19th century. The mild fever that TB created in a sufferer gave them flushed cheeks and lips for a healthy glowing look. The weight loss the disease was infamous for gave the sufferer a thin, waif-like look, a look especially sought after by women in that era, and one that we saw return to popularity, I guess, during the Kate Moss sort of heroin-chic 
era, as it was called for modeling. The pale skin desired in this time too, well, that was helped by the disease. Because of being kept indoors, sufferers had pale, sunless skin, and the common blood loss that occurred from coughing helped to keep the sufferer very pale. It was the author Charlotte Bronte who wrote in 1849, quote, end quote, Consumption, I am aware, is a flattering malady. And she was writing this the same year that she had lost Anne Bronte, her sister, to the insidious disease, and only a year after her other sister Emily had died from it as well. And despite this tragic loss, though, Charlotte could still write with an appreciation for the look the disease gave the sufferer. And she wasn't the only one. Giuseppe Verdi, who was the world-famous composer who wrote the opera La Traviata, well, initially it was going to be called Violetta, after the heroine in the performance, and she was the character that was afflicted with the dreaded disease. That's an opera that is known all over the world. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Eh, what is known as the drinking song, performed here by the Royal Opera. I knew of this opera, but I didn't realise that it was based on another work, that of one Alexandre Dumas. No, not that Alexandre Dumas. He of the Three Musketeers and Iron Mask fame, this was the work of his son, Alexandre Dumas Jr. And the book that La Traviata was based on was called La Dame aux Camélias. In English, that would be the Lady of the Camellias, and Dumas had loosely based his work on the famous, or infamous, if you like, Parisian courtesan Marie Duplessis. So, I hear you ask, who was Marie Duplessis? Marie was born in 1824 as Alphonsine Rosé Plessis, and at the age of 15 moved to Paris and took a job as a dressmaker. She was described as quite the beauty with an enchanting smile. Now, before we get any further, just remember that people in this era only lived to around the age of 50 at best. So the fact that a girl in her mid-teens was then solicited by men for her company was not as creepy as it is today. So even though we see her as being very young by today's standards, Marie was of an eligible age for marriage in mid-1800 France. And she was not a stupid girl either. Recognising that here was an opportunity to advance herself, Marie learned to read and write and also educated herself on world events so that in the course of conversations with her companions and suitors, she would be able to conduct herself appropriately. It was between 1844 and 1845 that she was the companion of the aforementioned Alexandra Dumas Jr. and it was rumoured to later become the mistress of the brilliant composer Franz Liszt. Working as a courtesan and also as a hostess at a Parisian salon, she had influenced art and culture in a way 
that we still see to this day as we listen to Verdi's music or read the work of Dumas. She was even briefly married to the Comte de Perigord, and it was he, along with another former suitor of the young Marie, Count Gustav Ernst von Stackelberg, that on the 3rd of February 1847 stood over her grave as they buried the pretty yet tuberculosis-afflicted Marie. She was just 23 years old. Now, I have podcasted on the fashion of men during the 1800s, and let's be honest, I only covered that just briefly as it was. So you can imagine that if I was to try and talk about all the fashions that women wore during this time, I would probably have an entirely separate podcast altogether. I will at some point be looking at some of the highlights of their clothing, but at the moment we're just going to have a look at the effects that TB had on society in this era. I cannot overstate enough just how prevalent it was in society. It wasn't a matter of self-isolation or of staying home and avoiding people. Remember, this was a time when people really didn't have an idea of germs. To people of the time, if anything, it was just bad air, and that was what was causing the illness that people were suffering. And in many places, it was thought that tuberculosis was actually a hereditary disease because someone in the family would have it, then people would see others in the same family afflicted by it, so it's presumed that the sickness was in some way passed down to the children. Kind of like the right result with all the wrong reasoning again. Around 1837, that is, when Victoria took the throne and officially created what we call the Victorian era, women's clothing was of a style that used thin fabrics and straight lines. A lady's neck and collarbones would be revealed by the cut of the dress and the long trail of the dress's train would help to create a thin silhouette. Add to this the infamous restraint of an 1800s corset and you begin to see the thin, well-shaped and elegant look that defined womanhood at this time. Of course, the use of said corset left women weakened because of their severely impaired ability to breathe. And when you have a respiratory illness, the fact that you're already having trouble breathing doesn't help. So the thin, waifish aesthetic of the early 1800s was emphasised by the proliferation of the insidious disease. There are many paintings and drawings from this era showing the illness of a poor man or woman surrounded by loved ones as they dramatically struggle with the disease, and we all know they're going to succumb to it in the end. It was during this time that tuberculosis was called the White Plague. Many people believe that it bestowed an extra sensitivity in the sufferer. So that if you were an artist of some sort during this time, it was literally seen as being a good thing that you were suffering from it. From a disease that was probably going to kill you because it gave your work so much more meaning thanks to your extra sensitivity. But wait, it gets better. This quote, romantic disease was seen as providing a good death because you, and I kid you not, because it meant that you could die slowly and have time to get your affairs into order before you shuffled off this tragic mortal coil. 
This level of suffering has comparisons to the suffering one needs to endure from a religious perspective to attain some sort of heavenly access or enlightenment. Legendary British poet Lord Byron even wrote, quote, I should like to die from consumption. End quote. Oh, Lord Byron, what a way with words. Okay, sure, he might have been overly emo and angsty, but he summed up the perception of his society in that artists wanted to have tuberculosis for the aesthetic and the general society thought it added more to the art or literature that they were consuming. Frédéric Chopin, the brilliant composer, was referred to as a poor, melancholy angel by his friend George Sand. His having consumption just added to his artist's street cred. Unfortunately, he also died at only 39 years of age. But as doctors started to realise the environmental effects that might have helped tuberculosis to continue to run rampant throughout society, it literally changed the fashions of the era. Those long flowing dresses that helped create that thin waif look of the ladies were changed. Dresses were adapted and the skirts shortened to avoid the cloth dragging through the mud and waste on the street, a factor that has been identified as critical in the spread of the disease. And finally, after someone, somewhere, decided that being able to breathe was actually a good thing, the design of the corset was altered. The shape was relaxed to some extent, so while women were still keeping that socially acceptable shape, the corsets were easier to wear and also gave a healthier look with more curves rather than that thin, slim look. With this change came a change in fabrics too. It became the school of thought that warmer fabrics would be more conducive to health. So gone were the light and airy clothes and in came the thicker, warmer, darker cloths and colours. In a really rough estimate, I would equate this to, say, having women's fashions change from how Jennifer Eel looked in the miniseries Pride and Prejudice playing Elizabeth Bennet and being set in the early 1800s to how Rachel Adams looked as Irene Adler in the Sherlock Holmes movies with the story being set much later in the century. The dresses changed from those light colours with slim lines to more structured, curvaceous outfits in darker colours. And people being people, as that thin look fell out of fashion, so did tuberculosis. So weird though, that a disease that literally killed people on a scale we can barely understand today was seen as being something fashionable. This is a disease that it has been calculated to have killed one in seven people that have ever lived. And I mean throughout the whole of human history, that's how bad this disease is. Again, I cannot emphasize enough just how prevalent, how deadly, and how much this disease was experienced all over the world. And with the change in how the rich saw tuberculosis, it naturally became associated with the lower economic classes. Suddenly, tuberculosis was only for the poor. From a social perception point of view, the disease literally changed economic classes, TB was now a thing of the streets with dirty, filthy people living in areas of the city that the rich, clean and vibrantly healthy upper classes could have another reason to look down upon. 
as time went on and hygienic practices have changed in first world countries, we really don't see tuberculosis much anymore. But I want to take a moment to step outside the 1800s because I think this is kind of important. According to the World Health Organization, as of 2018, fully one quarter of the world's population is thought to be infected with TB. That's a quarter of the whole planet. Back in 2017, there were more than 10 million cases of active tuberculosis. 1.6 million people died from it. But none of this makes news because, like I said earlier, it has become a disease of the poor and basically those that the media doesn't care about living in places that they don't want to visit, well, that's not ever going to make the nightly news. And that's now today in our time, not looking back at an era from over 100 years ago. Unfortunately, some things don't change. Vaccines and medications have been used to treat tuberculosis successfully, but what we are beginning to see in our modern world are strains of the disease that are immune to the drugs we have. So it may only be a matter of time before we have a resurgence of one of the worst diseases in human history. And keeping with that cheerful thought, uh, some of the more well-known people in the 1800s to have succumbed to tuberculosis include, as I mentioned, Frédéric Chopin, You've also got Franz Kafka and an Emily Bronte, poet Robert Burns, Anton Chekhov, who's a Russian playwright, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Sir Walter Scott, Walter Whitman, President Andrew Jackson, President James Monroe, Immanuel Kant, Florence Nightingale, Henry David Thoreau, Jane Austen, Simon Bolivar, and of course, John Henry Doc Holliday. And we all saw Tombstone, didn't we? Some of the more recent sufferers who have been fortunate enough to have access to medical treatment and recover from tuberculosis include Eleanor Roosevelt, Nelson Mandela, George Orwell, Cat Stevens, Denham Elliott and the legendary Tina Turner. All had suffered and in those cases there fortunately they recovered. Like I said before, in some ways the past really isn't that far in the past is it? So here endeth the episode. You can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. If you could follow me on Twitter, that'd be great, at VicGaslamp. And more importantly, on Instagram, where I post history facts and trivia, as well as photos related to the episodes. And I'm Victorian Gaslamp there as well. The next episode will be out in two weeks, so keep a lookout for that. And I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.